What is it now? I don't know, man. It's been a long time. So probably shoots and ladders. I'm going to go old school. That's pretty basic, bro. What do you mean? What kind of fucking board games are you playing? You playing shit that's like next level rocket science or something? No, what? what do you mean? I love we play uh we let's see, we play Guess Who with the kids. We oh you know what I just taught the this isn't a board game, but we taught the kids Uno. So you can't ask me my favorite board game, get mad at my answer, and then throw out non board games as your answer. Okay, what what type of family games do you like to Uno's play? Uno's dope, bro. I love to play with my yeah. mom all the time. Yeah, Uno, yeah. Yeah. Uno dos. Uno <laughs> <laughs> dos. Reverse. No, my, my mom and I Play Uno a lot when I was a kid. I saw some video online where some guy was getting pulled over and getting a ticket, and the guy pulled out a, a reverse card, and gave it to the cop. <laughs> your, your Instagram feed's probably the, That's the best between that and the cats in my feed. Yeah. <laughs> it's all cat videos. <laughs> Arun, are we live? Yes, sir. Ooh, that's awkward. Yeah, because you didn't hit the. Yeah, the clock's not started. I thought one. you were just chilling. So, because that didn't start, uh, do we want to make sure that all three red light buttons are on? Yeah, they are. Arun, no pressure here, but we don't trust you. They are. <laughs> they are. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that case, welcome back to the number one financial literacy podcast in the world. Fun fact I haven't shared with the boys yet is we have charted in more countries than I could possibly remember this morning were, were new countries that we charted in. And honestly, I stopped looking at all the new places that were popping up. And I look at the U.S. charts and I think to myself, <laughs> no, no, no. It, it's actually something I haven't shared with you guys. Um it's kind of stunning that we've had a pretty consistent track record now where every single one of our episodes has hit the top 200 in entrepreneurship. Right. So every single episode that's popped out, and I would probably say the last like four or five months, is in the top 200 entrepreneurship episodes. So Love that. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Now, I will say entrepreneurship is a subcategory <laughs> of business, but uh, it, it's still pretty meaningful and impactful to us. And we're also still in the top 200 in business pretty pretty regularly throughout the year. So Right. So thank you to everybody out there that's tuning in and listening. Yeah, this one's going to be jam-packed full of information. We're going to use the bond market and some of our previous conversations to leverage and, and to to get all sophisticated and drop some edumacations on some folks. Yeah, SAT vocabulary. SAT vocabs. But before that, sitting next to me is my partner in time, the one and only Saeed Omar. Sitting next to me is my partner in crime, Christopher Nahibi. And who's behind the ones and twos? DJ Arun. Let's go. Welcome back to the show, everybody. I'm trying to say his name phonetically different every single time so that we can continue to get misspellings of his name. People go out of their way to spell his name correctly and my name incorrectly. That's what they said. Yeah. Said. <laughs> Subtle sign. Just right. What's up, Odin? How you doing? Yeah. Doing well, man. Doing well. Awesome. You're going to open that can now or are going to wait till it's a little more, you know? Come on, dude. That's Sensational. Just, it takes away from the show when you do this. It doesn't take away from the show. I'm allowing him an opportunity to interrupt me. Politely. Well, here, let me interrupt you real quick. Okay, thank you. With Please. camera one, it's zooming in and out a lot. I don't know. It's acting up. Uh-oh. Uh oh Well, I guess we're going to have to figure that out in post. That's okay. your problem. Just want to make sure. Maybe it's your boy Dave Ramsey's face here. Let's get rid of him. It's about time. We get rid of this. Yeah, Dave's gone. Bye, kill Dave. Yeah, bye. All right. All right. Well, so to start off the show, I want to set a tone. This is going to be an episode that's fundamentally driven by the mood. It's a layer cake. It's a seven-layer dip, baby. Okay, let's go. We start at the top. All right. We're going to work our way down to the bottom. All right. You could have a little bit. You could jump section to section, and we're going to give you the section notes if you go to YouTube, but it really tastes a whole hell of a lot better when you get all seven layers. Okay, look at you. So stay tuned to the very end. Starting right off the top, the Kobayashi letter. We're going to get into one of my favorite Twitter now X accounts. 
I think it shares pretty insightful data, and the stuff they share on a daily basis is kind of shocking given the current economic climate. We're going to talk about the government, how much they can borrow. We're going to talk about the bond market and the pain that may be heading your way as a result. We've kind of layered this up over the last several episodes to get us to this point where if you're an avid listener, as you should be, you listen to every single episode, you left a five-star review that's honest, this is going to make a whole hell of a lot more sense to you than somebody who's just tapping us for the first time. But don't worry. In either case, we got your back. Yes, sir. One of our favorite economists, Mohamed El Rain, mm. says something is likely to break. Former CEO of Pimco, right? Former CEO of Pimp and Co. Pimp, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, he a former Pimco guy, and honestly, one of my favorite economists for a number of reasons, and one of the many economists who called the Great Recession before it happened. He was then speaking of after the job loss or the job data that came out, which was shocking to say the least. Site, and I will get into that. Then we're going to say, hey, well, all this has led us to where we are. What does this mean? Where is the bond market actually going to go? Are long bonds, uh, you know, matching historical meltdown numbers? And the sneaky answer is yes. And we're going to talk about a sell-off. Mm. That's already underway. That's already happened. And somebody dove into the data, which had not been done before. All this is going to be wrapped in a nice little labor market bow and then we're going to talk about a lovely 77-year-old woman, if there's time, at the end of the show. And if we don't do it at the end of this show... This one broke my heart, man. It broke my heart, too. We're going to do it at the end of the next show because I think this is a great example of how prominent criminal behavior is in, in the financial world and how financial literacy... What, the reason we're doing this show is obviously we're have, having a good time. Yeah. Obviously, it's financial literacy. Right. But this is the type of thing that we hope to be able to prevent and if someone can get, you know, make a little bit of money one day because listening to the show made a smart decision, then even better for everybody. But the fraud stuff, man, it's near and dear to my heart. It's, it's never a good thing. Exactly. All right. So from the Kobayashi letter, I'm going to read you several facts that uh, should make you go, hmm. Right off the top, the average payment on a new home is now at a record $2,900 a month. Yeah, when you, when you think about it, I think it was $1,900 a month not too long ago. That's a big shift. Yeah. The average house is now renting for a record $1,900 a month. Yeah. Why does it sound like it's such a deal out here in California? Right. <laughs> the average new car payment is now at a record $740 a month. Mm. The average used car payment is now at a record $530 a month. The average student loan payment is now $500 a month. The average gallon of gas is now nearing $4 again. And by the way, in some states like California, it's nearing $6. The average household credit card balance is now at a record $7,300. The average household will have $0 of excess savings by the end of this quarter. Right. Q4. Yeah, we're really going to dive into that too because we know that the San Francisco Fed came out and said not too long ago that uh, the excess savings that people built up during the pandemic was going to run out by October, right? Mm -hmm. But um, I had some stats here. This from I got it from a YouTube page that um, I frequently visit and listen because he, he provides a lot of good information, Clear Value Tax. And he cited it's from Oxford Economics, right? He said 80% of the pandemic stimulus money went to the wealthiest 20% of people. Yeah, and I saw it firsthand. I was in the front lines of it, and I can tell you mm – -hmm. What wound up happening is, fuck. I love how he knows to do it to get to you. It's always me. It's never you. <laughs> we were always talking. 
That was hurtful. No, but, it, <laughs> but you're more educated, so it's okay. That, 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 that's hurtful, yeah. It doesn't make the pain go away any less. Right? So on the front lines, you saw a lot of CFOs of a lot of companies saying, hey, this is free money. We have a fiduciary responsibility to do the best thing we can for the company. We need to get this free money. Whereas I think people who weren't as sophisticated didn't have as big companies, they were like, morally, I don't want to do this. Right. So it wound up being the larger companies and the wealthier people who got all that money. Yeah, exactly. I, I know because what he was addressing was in the video that the video he made prior to that, he had cited the San Francisco Fed and how they said, you know, people were going to run out of their excess savings by October. But people in the comment section were like, what are you talking about? I've already ran out of all my excess savings. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's all already gone. And it, it goes to show you. And then furthermore, it said 42% of the money actually went to the top 1%. So we heard of all that. Wow. Yeah. Can you believe that? So you hear, you heard about all that, you know, this person got $1,200, this person got $1,200, and that, these small little, that doesn't amount to any, compare at all to the people out there that got a $10 million PPP loan. And it, I will say this, it was meaningful, the amount of savings addition it did for most people across the country. Yeah, no, of course. But, yeah, the, the bulk of the money went to the wrong people. In my mind, I'll be honest, that, that's my opinion. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all. And and I, if you remember when we were doing, we were doing maybe a year, year and a half ago, we were in my, in my garage. Mm-hmm. We were recording. It was a rainy night. We were sweating our ass off because it was always hot in there. And uh, we were watching the video of Brian Moynihan saying the consumer was in great shape. Oh, yeah, exactly. He was at a banking conference, and you and I were like, what in the fuck kind of crack pipe is this guy yeah, smoking from? Yeah, who gave him this data? Like, don't do ketamine and go to banking conferences, bro. <laughs> don't do that. Yeah. Like, are you are you microdosing shrooms right now, guy? In addition to ketamine? Yeah, like, what, what kind of party are you throwing back there? Right. Like, is this how it goes down in Wyoming? Somebody call Kanye. (laughs) This is why he's crazy. So, I mean, I was just stunned. And we've seen, I mean, a drop off almost month over month ever since then Mm -hmm. to now we have the average household will have zero dollars. We went from historic household savings a year and a half, two years ago, largely in part because of the stimulus and the money you're talking about here, to now zero dollars of excess savings by the end of this quarter. Yeah, that man. is a fucking stunning change. Yeah, man. And to take that a step further, too, there's a stat out there. Maybe Odun can can Google it, but I believe a majority of Americans 50 years and, and older actually don't have any money saved for their retirement. And to, to be at that stage right now, walking into whatever economy is ahead of us. Oh, I'll paint an even more fucked up picture. You ready for it? Mm-hmm. What if there's a 20% market correction in the stock market and those people who don't have whole lot of money saved for retirement have 401ks right you know that that are going to get hit even harder exactly because i know during the great recession people took some big hits and I, I i feel for those people that were you know on the cusp of retiring during that time yeah right like some people like i've heard personally i've heard of i've heard of stories of that uh some people lost like hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah no it's o- true like overnight oh dude i mean i i've i've seen it firsthand like i i yeah. I was very much involved in banking and underwriting back then, so I saw a pretty pretty significant amount. Yeah. Room pulled this up from the Federal Reserve uh, data. Ages 35 to 44, average retirement savings of $131,950. Yeah, that's not meeting the target range, right? They Ages. say by the age of 30, and this is these rules of thumbs are always hard to follow, right? But they say by the age of 30, you should have one year's worth of salary. Huh. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, look. I'll say that it really depends on, on how you look at it. A lot of people will tap the equity in their home. Ultimately, my bigger fear that like we've talked about on the show is people's yeah. inability to buy a home right. and not having that as a backbone to the lack of this 
yeah. type of savings on top of that. Right. It's just a catastrophic mix for the middle class, and it, my heart goes out to them. Which I should take the point. I'm going to do this now, okay? We we posted on social media. Oh, let's go, baby. Yeah. I've been waiting for this. I'm, I'm, we posted on social media the episode, uh, I think it was 182. Was it, uh, 182? it was the one where we did a deep dive on the Fed. Yeah. So we talked about several economists, including some economists that I've spoken to, that have voiced concern about the Fed. Mm-hmm. Now, this is not my opinion. Now, I will say I don't think the Fed has handled things well. I don't think they've communicated why they took such a unique and deviated strategy than they have historically. Mm-hmm. I've got a lot of criticism of the Fed. Right. But there is always going to be that fucking asshole who comes at you and says, you're a fucking banker, man. You just want to get rich, man. Yeah. This is about you making more money, man. And it's like, first of all, you don't know me. Right. Second of all, like I'm, I'm even though you're coming at me with insults and shit, I'm coming at you articulate. Trying to trying to talk to you and, and work re- your way through the yeah, logic, and we're trying to be respectful and right entertain whatever idea that you have. So this is always the same trend, and I, I want to say this because I want it on the record. Mm-hmm. I want people to know if you see this, this is what's happening. It's always the same guy. It might have a different name, different whatever. It's always the same guy. I'm not saying the same guy literally, but it's always the same description. It's a relatively anonymous account with not their without their full name on it. How convenient! It's never verified. It's generally private. Right. Okay. And it's always somebody telling you they know more than you, but mm-hmm. they haven't taken the time to look at your resume. They don't give a shit about who you are. They have a preconceived notion about what it is that you do. Generally speaking, they're the same kind of people who are like, oh, you're an attorney or, oh, you're a banker. You're the devil. And it's like, okay. So because you have a bias, mm-hmm. you're going to attack me. And then when I defend myself and say in an articulate fashion and say, hey, you're wrong, they go, ooh. Ooh, you're never going to last on social media, bro, because you're you're being so responsive. So now I'm an asshole for responding to the comment that you left that was derogatory in a collegial way. And the funny part is is how we actually agree uh, about the topic. Yeah, no, right? totally agree. But he wanted to he just yeah. wanted to start some weird fight. So There's for so back- much of this on social media. So backstory for everybody. Basically what happened is we 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 created a post and by we I mean me. <laughs> <laughs> that created a little bit of controversy. A little bit. And all all it was was all it was was detailing. Got him, Maroon. <laughs> that was good. Thank you. All it was was detailing the other side of the argument. And not even like you we weren't arguing decentralization and having no Fed. It's it was more so, listen, the Fed should may not have to act as much because sometimes we should let the markets, you know, correct itself, taking a page out of Milton Friedman's book. Right. So again, Right, he was saying that I just happened to gloss over the idea of volatility in the markets impacting people's lives. Yes, it impacted yeah. people's lives. Yeah. So, listen, but I'll be honest with you. What the fuck do you think is going on right now? You don't think people are being seriously impacted by the shit the Fed's doing? Right. And and for for people in the comment section to come out and say that you know you, you only care because it's going to affect your your portfolio, but you go ahead, you can go back and live in your house with your low interest rate. Like, listen, man, if I get screwed in this, everyone gets screwed in this. It's not just me. Yeah. Right. So what we're afraid of, and this isn't just in banking or in finance, it's in every aspect of life. If there's ever an overcorrection to something, it's generally bad news when you overcorrect. Right. Yeah. So and the Fed themselves, they're on record for saying, you know, we did quantitative tightening back during the Great Depression and probably held interest rates too high for too long, which ultimately caused the Great Depression to be worse than it had to be. That, yeah. That's the Fed on record saying that themselves. Yeah. In we're, fucking writing. We're not, and the post wasn't to come out and say, hey, the Fed should never raise interest rates. Okay, we understand, right? We get that that the Fed serves serves a role. 
But monetary policy isn't what got us into this mess. Okay? My my opinion, this time it's been fiscal policy. Right? There's a valid argument there. I would say there's not one catalyst for this. There's a lot of fucking problems. Well, the F- the Fed acted too late. Yeah. Okay? and but Without just, a question of a doubt. Just because they acted too late does not mean that it's their fault. Right? Sure, they could have eased the blow a little bit. But you can't come out and print $2 trillion in stimulus packages and think nothing's going to happen. But that wasn't them. That's the government. Right. That's the government saying, oh, shit, <clears throat> knee-jerk reaction. And, and oh, look, bottom line is, and I'll, I'll make it real clear for the people in the back. Stop going to social media and expecting a full, expanded, educational, detailed, thorough analysis in a 30-second clip, Okay. Go watch a show, formulate an opinion. Don't sit here and give people shit because you assume everything else that happened in the other 59 minutes and 30 seconds on the show. Exactly. The whole point was to maybe get you to draw you in and be like, wait, let me hear what these guys have to say about this about this topic, right? The, the, the entire episode was about a deep dive on the Fed. If we're going to explain one side of it, we have to also explain the other side of it. That's that That's the only fair way to discuss it. Now, ironically, Syed alluded to the very next article from Bloomberg Business Opinion mm-hmm. or Bloomberg Opinion on Instagram. Makes me feel very uncomfortable with that Munchen. That's his name, right? Steve Mnuchin. Steve Mnuchin? Mnuchin. Munchen. I had dinner with him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you did? Yeah. Really? Yeah, he has a whole security team. It's really fucking weird. No kidding. Yeah. Anyway. He's very, it's very odd having him stand next to this lady. I don't, the lady? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know who that is either. Yeah. Uh, too much federal spending is at the core of what Congress is fighting over. Said, you were mm-hmm. just saying that. Yeah. It's one of the main arguments conservative Republicans used when the government almost shut down in September and for ousting Kevin McCarthy oh as Speaker. God, that guy. Yeah, he got kicked out. But federal deficit is one of those problems that is too big, too abstract to talk about in a reasonable way. I would disagree with that statement, mm-hmm. but again, this is Bloomberg opinion. It isn't like other political issues in America, you can view this purely as a math problem. That I agree with. You mm-hmm. do have a fundamental math problem. Bloomberg Opinions Nir Kassar offers five tips to understand how to better munch the government. How wait, how, 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 how to understand better how much money the government can and should be borrowing. Yeah, that one left. Art, I could not. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, my frustration with articles that you see on the internet is they ignore so much of this. What the Fed has done by raising rates, the Fed funds rate, is they've also increased the cost to borrow for the United States. Right. This means that the United States' own deficit is increasing at a faster cadence. Yeah, it's and it's not only that, it's their the government's interest payments have now increased. Correct. So this is not something that has happened in a vacuum. It is, it's got wide-reaching implications. And I wanted to take a moment to have this conversation so I could segue to something else that's very, very relevant. Briefly. Very, very briefly, because we don't get political on the show. There is a war going on again. Oh, my God. I know. The Israel-Palestine so conflict. And I'm going to be— Terrible. I'm, there's no sarcasm and joking when I say this. There's very few things that, that I agree with from the Trump— rhetoric that's out there uh without giving any insight of my political opinion but what i will say is he did once say that he doesn't support any war Mm -hmm. and i tend to agree with that 
the people who fight in the wars are generally not the people who cause the war. Right. They're the smaller families. And there's death on both sides. There's polarizing video on both sides. And I'm sure someone will listen to this and be pissed off that we didn't support Israel or Palestine or didn't go into the deep dive of the, of the conflict. What I'll say is it's a fucking tragedy. Mm-hmm. All the way around, it's a fucking tragedy. Right. People We're gonna, are dying on both sides here. They are. And what I'm going to say next is not callous. I, this show is about money and finance. The United States is financing the war in Ukraine. If you say, oh, financing, they're supporting it, whatever. They, the Ukraine is an ally against what is a known challenge for the United States and Russia. Mm-hmm. So we are spending billions of dollars. That's not my opinion. That's documented. That's out there. Now the U.S. is already sending troops and I think the largest aircraft carrier to Israel because Israel is an ally. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to spend billions more dollars on a second war. The U.S. economy between the debt that we're racking up here that this article suggests and alludes to, we're now going to magnify and make the problem worse because now we're spending more money paying our own debt back because the Fed has increased interest rates. We got one war with one body in the Ukraine. We got another war where now the U.S. is seemingly supporting Israel. For good or for worse, that's what's happening. And now this economy is going to suffer because it can't afford to do all of it. It just, the money, is not enough money to go around. Right. So that that government shutdown that that almost happened that Chris alluded to at the start of this article, um, you know, one of the primary things that they were arguing, both sides were arguing, was additional funding to Ukraine or not, right? And initially, I believe the Republicans were proposing thirty percent budget cuts to a lot of other agencies, and in addition to that, yeah, you know, uh, no more additional funding for Ukraine, and they ultimately settled settled on um, no more additional funding to Ukraine, but no more no budget cuts. Right. And now here we are spending more money right. to support another war. Exactly. And again, I'm not getting into the, the politics of which side should be supported, which side shouldn't be supported. I'm not giving any reference whatsoever. Right. Please don't come at us in the comments. But it should be known that there will be rippling effects that we will all feel because of this. Economically. Right. Yes. Yes, exactly. There absolutely will. Around the next article, I think, is, is a good uh, pivot here, the bond market. Mm. So... Uh, From Bloomberg Business, not opinion this time, the 5% bond market means pain is heading everyone's way. The impact will be felt in everything from shoppers' pockets to company balance sheets, a lot of which we have spoken about on the show. Not so long ago, families, businesses, and governments were effectively living in a world of free money. And by free money, we mean that money was so cheap, the cost to borrow was so cheap, you could go essentially buy anything you wanted to and have access to tons of liquidity because anything you invested in would return more than you borrowed. So if you arbitraged it, you were going to make more putting that money to work than you were when you borrowed it. Exactly. That's essentially free money. Mm-hmm. The Fed's benchmark interest rate was zero. Fed funds was zero. While central banks in Europe and Asia even ran negative rates to stimulate economic growth after the financial crisis and through the pandemic. Yeah, so when I read that, I thought maybe it was worth explaining a little bit. Sometimes central banks will have a negative rate to really force, uh, you know, the economy to go out there and lend their money. You know, people go out to borrow their borrow and more activity out there in the markets to really try to stimulate the economy. I believe that, that means that the central bank is now charging banks to park their money there. So they're actually losing money. Correct. So it almost forces them out to have to lend their money out. Yeah, so one of the things that that banks and other large financial institutions like Apple across the world have to do is they have to manage their cash. 
over time. Now, a lot of people were saying, like, well, the treasuries, the bond markets, well, everyone's going to pull their money out because they're so worried what's going to happen with the government. No, uh, the, the larger companies have too much cash to go into pure cash. They have to go into things like treasuries and some of these more complicated, secure financial instruments that pay more interest rate right now. Right. There's just no way they can go all, all to cash, and that's a different economic conversation for a different time. Right. Those days now look to be over, especially after the 30-year Treasury bond yields punched through 5% this very week, and we are recording this. It's Monday, the 9th of October. So that's a pretty big pivot. The last time that happened was in 2007. Right. Right before the Great Recession. And you're going to hear a lot of similarities to that in the rest of the show. Mm -hmm. The shift has real-world consequences upending everything from housing to mergers and acquisitions. Both topics we've talked about at length on the show. We think housing is going to have uh, some pricing challenges in the next year. We think that mergers and acquisitions are in a bit of a slow light period before it ramps up again. Cost of funds uh, being very, very expensive right now. And merger and acquisition activity is going to slow until companies are on the brink or can sell for cheap. Right. And the impact will be felt from shoppers' pockets to the company balance sheets like we've talked about. An earnings recession, we believe, is on the horizon or we're currently experiencing right now. So all the things that we've talked about. This article pissed me off on some level because you and I have been speaking about this stuff for probably two years now. Exactly. Two years we've been talking about this coming, and yet the market is now starting to just catch on it. And I'm not saying this because I'm, I'm trying to say that we're smart or intelligent. It's just frustrating that so many of these things were obvious, but we people were in denial. Mm -hmm. But then I started to remember I was working in 2007. I was working in 2006, this is the lead up. I remember what the rhetoric was like, and people were in absolute fucking denial leading up to the Great Recession too. So it shouldn't come as a surprise to us. It has been a, long, a prolonged period of time, 14 years, a long period of time. But this type of psychological behavior, the behavioral economics is playing out now, and this denial of it is not uncommon. Mm -hmm. It's not uncommon. What I have seen is a palpable die down. I don't know if you guys have seen this, Aruna. You got, you're on social media a lot for the, for the other gig. Have you guys noticed a, a pretty palpable die down of people that are realtors promoting the economy is going to always go up and things are great? I've seen a yes. pretty significant yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and I think I've seen more and more posts on how difficult it is right now. Really? Okay. Yeah. I've actually seen more and more posts, well, them speaking about the Fed, right, and having those types of conversations, and I think they're looking for someone to point the blame at, right? Um, yeah, I mean, not, I, I not understanding that maybe this is a necessary evil, you know what I mean? But I don't know. What about you, Odin? Yeah, no, same thing. I haven't seen a lot of... Uh posts from realtors as much lately a lot actually from the texas area but nothing in california as, as much as i used to in the past yeah and I, I should point out that that there's also a couple things at play when you look at people talking about economic data a lot of the economists have large person financing behind them mm -hmm. or large corporate financing behind them and, and a great corollary that that gives you a different example from a different place so nobody gets sensitive and gets their all feelings all all emo and shit um is that when you talk about scientific studies, generally speaking, people pay for them, right? Yes. And generally speaking, it's people who want a type of result. Right. But if you're a scientist, you might not have a bias, but you got to keep the money coming in so you can continue to do your research. Exactly. So what do you do? You find the results that work for your buyer of that data. It's a very shady game. Now, you might be able to use that data other places. So a great book on this is Sugar, Salt, Fat. Mm -hmm. uh, which talks about how those three ingredients have been added to food for the last several decades, which are, are how our diets have effectively gone to shit. 
mm-hmm. and and why some of the things were being pumped into us. Ironically, today the state of California banned and I think five chemicals. Uh, which prevent things like Skittles from being sold in California moving forward. You told us that right before the show. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, it's kind of stunning. And this on the heels of Japan doing it too. You can't even buy Frosted Flakes in Japan now. No kidding. It's considered toxic, yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting how something could be toxic for one country, but not toxic enough for us. You'd be surprised. A lot of what we sell uh, for human consumption in the United States is not considered suitable consumption in like other countries. I know. I, do, I remember I was reading an article about this once. Like Some factories, they allow for a certain level amount of... Uh, Rat feces. Oh, yeah, sexy. <laughs> they, yeah. A certain amount is okay. Once it gets past a certain threshold, no longer okay. Oh, so, so Rune pulled it up. Top eight uh, American foods banned in other countries. Ooh, let's go. Woo. Number one, instant stuffing and mashed potatoes. Come on, man. That shit's amazing. When it comes in a little package? Just- Making stuffing with craft stovetop stuffing takes a mere five minutes, but the popular mix contains... The preservatives, BHA, I can't say that word, but it ain't good for you, and BHT, uh, I also don't know it, which have raised concerns due to suspicious suspicions of potential carcinogenic properties and their potential to hinder blood clotting. Wow. The fuck? Skittles. Eating Skittles can be nostalgic, but nostalgic, but you're also participating in, or partaking in a handful of additives that have been banned in numerous other countries. And now California. Mm. Number three, no surprise here, Twinkies and Little Debbie well, Swiss didn't, Rolls. What didn't, I, didn't I tell you to stop eating the Twinkies, bro? Dude, I love dick-shaped food. <laughs> it's just... It's uh, not me. It's just the shit. With, with a good filling, right? With the, the filling, right? That's it's, what... That's. See, you guys got to make it sexual. I just like the shape. Okay? <laughs> Number four, Pillsbury Biscuits. Fuck, all the good stuff. Number five, bread with potassium bromate. What? Number what? six, high fructose corn syrup. Number seven, American pork. This is, yeah, see, you can't be having pork. It's, in the U.S., cuts of pork. It's <laughs> <laughs> not a Muslim thing, okay? In the U.S., cuts of pork tend to be much larger than in other countries of the world. That's because American pork contains growth hormone. Oh, so they're buff pigs. One notable growth hormone, racto, whatever the fuck that is, often employed in pig farming, has been banned in numerous countries. Chlorinated chicken, number eight? What the hell, man? In the U.S., the practice of washing chicken and chlorine is done to mitigate potential spread of foodborne illnesses, particularly salmonella. It's not just used to wash the chicken either. Chlorine can also be found in produce, canned vegetables, and other meats. And fuck, man. God, man. Yeah, just. Well, there goes my night. Yeah, just. Well, luckily you shop at Whole Foods, so you're probably good there. I don't know, man. (laughs) We were there earlier today, but uh, yeah. Right. Jesus. So maybe just to, just to do a quick little recap on, um, you know, bonds and, and what they are, because I know we're about to get into a really heavy uh, bond conversation here, right? So oh, bond and jobs, man. Bond and jobs, right? So your bond yield is, is the return, and the yield on the bond is the return the investor gets if they hold the bond to maturity, right? Bond is a debt instrument. So basically you're giving somebody a loan. Yeah, you're giving and think of it like the most common one that people discuss all the time are like the government bonds, right? Yeah, because of the so most secure. You're giving a loan to the government now. It could be anywhere from you know two years, three years, five years, seven years, ten years. Where that all that means is whatever year period you select to, to purchase, that's the how long they can to pay you back. And let's say you buy a a ten year bond for a thousand dollars, right? Mm-hmm. And interest and the yield on that is four percent. All that means is you're going to get forty dollars a year. 
every year for 10 years. And at the end of the 10 years, you're going to get your $1,000 back as well. Now, where it gets complicated is, let's say they issue new bonds the very next year. Yeah. A 10-year bond at 5%. Wow. Now, when that happens, when the yield goes up, meaning the rate of return, the value of your bond goes down. The value of the 10-year bond at 4%, it's now worth less on the open market if you wanted to sell it before maturity. Yeah, and that was a key, I think, point that I forgot to neglect it to mention. When you buy that 10-year bond, you can sell it at any time, right? You don't have to, you don't have to hold it until maturity. I got your back, bro. Yeah, I mean, thank, you thank you, bro. You look at me all paused, like scared. <laughs> well, I'm just like, <laughs> like, like, I said my point. That's it. I was uh, like, you like, go. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I got a question. You got a flow. I'm, now you, you okay? No, I'm good. Yeah. All right, well, I have a question. Got full Mitch McConnell on me for a minute, man. I freaked out. Go ahead, Arun. 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 Oh, come on, man. <laughs> he doesn't even know how to say his name anymore. <laughs> no, I told you I'm going to say it differently every time. That's to start the show. For the rest of the show, give me some respect. Yeah, put some respect. Put some respect on my name. I got yeah, you. Don't you? I know. I Bird got man. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't know about that. <laughs> he knows. You don't know. Odin, do you know? Huh? See? <laughs> <laughs> I'm supposed to be a pop culture guy. Yeah. You're supposed to be like sports and pop culture. That's fine. Go ahead. All right. I know you guys have addressed this in the past, but like how does the rise in treasury bond yields affect like everyday things for Americans? Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, so, number one, first and foremost, it pushes up mortgage rates, right? Not because they're tied together. They are not tied together, but they compete for the same investor money, mm -hmm. right? If people want to return by putting their cash into something. You can go into a 10-year treasury bond or you can go into mortgage-backed securities. 10-year right. treasury bonds are looked at as safer investment. Typically, mortgage-backed securities will pay a little bit more. So, those, typically, those kind of can compete for dollars. And as the 10-year rises in interest rates, so do mortgage-backs. And if mortgage-backs rise your home mortgage rates rise. Yes, and go ahead and check out our YouTube page where we do the full breakdown on this in a nice little clips format. Yeah, we did it in a short clip. Yeah, we did. A quick clip. And uh, also, I, I dropped some uh, for the episode tomorrow. Got mm -hmm. some new fancy transitions. Oh. I added in some layers, did some masking, changed the color in the background, no more Gaussian blur. Wow. Yeah, I went, I went full in. Yes, yeah, so make sure you head over to the YouTube page. Smash that like button, hook up with that notification bell. And subscribe to the page. And leave me a comment saying you appreciate these goddamn transitions because they're not easy. Yeah, they're not easy. I like the one you did with the Family Matters. It was right behind us. It looked like a big TV. Oh, that's what I did all the rest of the transitions. That was cool. But or what you did with the Tom Brady one. You flashed, the, you flashed the money, how much S his boy SBF was paying him. Oh, you saw that? I did see that. Yeah, look at you. Okay. Yeah, I appreciated it. Yeah, good. good. I'm glad you never said a fucking word to me until now. I wanted to you know, thank you on the show. On the camera, live, so yeah. I have it for yeah. memory. Okay, that's good. That's kind of you. Yeah. Uh, but Arun, so basically that's it. And, and similar functions across the economy uh, is it'll push it'll push pricing on it pretty much everything. Up, everything. Your credit card payments will go up. It'll cost more money if 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 the you know yields go up, right? Then that just means that it'll cost more to borrow for anything, a business, whatever. Think of it this way: if as if the U.S. Treasury bonds are the safest, most secure investment, and you get more money there, right? Everything else. That is bought and sold in the form of debt, like credit card payments, like all these things. These all have to compete and go up in price as that rises as well. Right. I'm watering down a much more complicated process. But when the safest investment in the world goes up in, in, in price, everything else around it that's riskier has to go up in price because it's riskier. And if you want to attract investor money, you got to pay more than the safest investment does. By definition, exactly. As simple put as I, as I can that's how it works. So expect to see all these things. Even though they're not necessarily directly connected, they all compete for the same dollars. Exactly. That's what you got to think about the economy. So transitioning here, not so subtly, 
Something is likely to break after jobs data, L. Rain says. This job data was crazy, bro. And I'm going to let you quote that. But let me before we get into that, I want to read this quote because I think it's important. Mm -hmm. It puts us back on the table for a hike in November, L. Rain said. Markets are having to internalize, not just high for long, like the Fed has been telling us, but higher for longer. Mm -hmm. Which, to me, sounded like a drug problem, but whatever. When you fall behind right at the beginning of an inflation cycle, you pay the price when you get to the last mile. Basically saying that the Fed's already behind the eight ball and we're not seeing data move the right way. And he's concerned. This is a man who called the Great Recession, remember. In the wake of the jobs data, which site will break down in a little bit, yields on treasuries from five to 30 years soared more than 15 basis points on the day, which... 15 basis points or 0.15% in a single day for the Treasury. It doesn't sound like a big number, but that is a massive fucking jump for the Treasuries. Mm -hmm. to, to keep in mind, th these went from, you know, effectively, you know, low twos to 5% essentially overnight. And that's a huge pivot having huge ramifications in the market. And I will say that the Treasuries, I think eight of the 10 Treasuries were literally at 5% or above. So does this mean we're getting closer and closer to come out of that yield inversion yes it does it means we're coming close to a flat treasury yield curve right i don't know what we'll get there but basically meaning that all the treasuries are paying about the same which is not essentially way better than an inversion but it is considerably better than not having than, than, well i should say it's better than an inversion but not considerably better for the economy than an inverted yield curve right and because i the reason why i bring that up because i know we've talked about it so much in the past when you know the two-year the three-year is higher than the 10-year, then there's more pessimism in the market for what's to come you know, sooner. For good reason. And let me tell you why. Yeah. With the 15 basis points on the day, the 10-year and 30-year rates headed back into the highest since the 2007 peak before pairing some of the advances back down, which is not uncommon because you'll see the 10-year treasuries rise and then pair back down, then rise and pair back down. A Bloomberg gauge of the dollar rallied following the release. Right. And so... This this is largely and could very well be in part to that jobs report that came out. Which okay? we need to talk about. Which we need to talk about. And for those of the listeners out there that heard us every month talk about the jobs, the jobs report, the job, like it's because of a situation like this, yep. right? Where one report now, we're now getting closer and closer to what we all perceive to be the end of the Fed rate hiking cycle. Or had perceived until this right. whole thing happened. Right. And and for good reason, right? We thought we may have done enough. There was a lot of positive data out there. Um, I had here, so for July and August, uh, we had around 250,000 jobs that were added, okay? Uh, they, you know, with that jobs report that came out, they revised July and August up. Yeah, I saw that. that which was that the was, first time. That was the first time in several months. Several, we had seven months where they kept revising it down, and we cited it on the show, we're like, this has never been done. If every single month it continues to get revised down for the whole year, we had never so you know what pissed me off is those that six seven months they got they were revised down every single month, not mm -hmm. once but twice in most months. Right. No media coverage. Yeah. Now July and August get revised up, and we have this fucking mind blowing report that came out just now. Right. Tons of media coverage. Right. What the fuck is going on? Exactly. So for September, looks like non farm payrolls added three hundred and thirty six thousand jobs i believe the expectations were somewhere around 170 180,000 jobs so almost double yeah okay and why that's a big problem so just 
quick little recap. Non-farm payrolls means all the jobs out there that are excluding agriculture, government employees, nonprofit organizations, and private household employees, right? That's why you also get that ADP jobs report that covers the, you know, the other side of that for the private payrolls. Um, so when, when this came out, expectations for November's uh, Fed meeting didn't change a whole bunch, okay? But December's changed a lot. It's now at a coin flip of what, what they're going to do. It's a 50-50 chance if they're going to raise another 25 basis points or not. And we, one thing we have to keep in mind, let's remember the summary of economic projections that recently came out at the last Fed meeting, right? This is why we talk about these things. Seven of the FOMC members said we're fine right where we are, but 12 of them predicted we had one more rate hike by the end of the year, whether that's November or December, <coughs> excuse me, still remains to be seen, but what, you know, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and I actually haven't checked Bloomberg's WERP, they haven't, they haven't really priced that in for November. Everyone's thinking more so December. So I read an article earlier today. I didn't make the show notes because I didn't, I didn't think it was particularly meaningful, but there was a meaningful portion of it that two of the Fed's most hawkish uh, non-voting members that have been calling for, we need more interest rate increases, we need more interest rate increases, because of the Treasury spiking, have now taken a much more softer tone and are backing off their hawkish positions. Oh, they're, they're now saying, Ooh, yeah, I don't know that we can do another one right now. So, and the reason why, so maybe we should also dive into a little bit why a jobs report like this, why is this going against what the Fed is looking for? Why would a jobs report, because when people hear, wait, the economy is adding 336,000 jobs, why is that a bad thing if people are getting jobs? Listen, what the Fed's trying to do, right, is is battle inflation. Yes. When people are getting new jobs, Typically, what that means is that wages are also going to go up. Wage growth, yes. When wage growth goes up, that means people go out there and have more money to spend, maintain the lifestyles that they've been having for the last however many years, and they're going to continue to go out and spend, ultimately putting upward pressure on inflation, mm -hmm. right? So inflation is just going to remain stickier. The one thing that I will say that in that jobs report that came out, average hourly wages, surprisingly, usually when when you get a jobs report like this that comes out that's so positive, that ticks up average hourly wages. It didn't, not a whole lot, only 0.2% month over month, which was really, really interesting because that typically doesn't happen. So I have long been critical of the jobs reports. Yes. I think the JOLTS report, I think the way we're calculating jobs because it's been changed in the last couple of years, I think it's all fucking bullshit. The revision's up, the revision's down. Certainly the private sector stuff like ADP are fucking terrible data. Mm -hmm. Okay, I don't like the jobs reports. Now, I understand the Fed's primary dual mandate, which shockingly, a lot of people in the comments did not understand. You try to explain them the Fed job, they're like, that's not their job. And I'm like, bro, the dual mandate is fucking well documented since 1977. Yeah, now this we, is not a guess. We know that there's more really at play that they're juggling, but what they are setting out to do, you know, you know, every month, every year is to stabilize prices and to make sure people have maximum employment. But here's the problem. I don't believe the the data they're looking at for employment is accurate. Mm. I, I do believe this number will be revised down because I, I'll tell you right now, the wage growth that I've seen from lagging reports doesn't seem, unless we had a spike up where people are just like, you know, fuck it, I'm going to hire people and pay them more money all of a sudden, mm -hmm. which I don't believe is happening. I don't think this data is reliable. I, I do think the Fed 
has gotten a better hold on inflation than this seems to indicate. Right. But they're going to take more time. And I do think a coin flip for December is probably a fair fair thing. I think the one that they should be focusing on the most, and I get that I don't want to buy, in, buy into these jobs reports either, but if initial jobless claims isn't spiking up, then that's the one right that is not – that's not a lagging indicator. That's, no. That's real time. So if that's not spiking up, then that's cause for concern for the Fed. Because at the end of the day, whether the Fed wants to admit or not, because remember, their dual mandate is maximum employment. They can't come out and say we're looking for people to lose their jobs. Okay? Cause, but they know in order to get to their target range of 2%, that needs to happen. 2% inflation, 5% employment. Right. Yes. And I should point out that maximum Sorry, yes, maximum I mean. employment is kind of a misnomer, although that is the appropriate appropriate vernacular. They want a healthy employment market, which traditionally has transitory migration, people from jumping from job to job. That's around 5% right. unemployment. Yes, because yeah. that historically has proven to be you know, what has worked. And the 2% range uh, of inflation that they're targeting, that's just enough inflation to keep businesses profitable, to keep people out there to continue to you know, search for higher-paying jobs, you know, just that really stimulates the economy, right? They, you don't want prices to remain stagnant because then businesses aren't growing. Right. So, I mean, look, uh, and if you want a good metric for the, where the 10-year should be at, your 10-year projections for a healthy uh, inflation plus healthy GDP. Yeah. Those two added together should be effectively where your 10-year where your should be. Right. And if you take healthy numbers of call it 2 to 3% and 2 to 3%, call it 4 to 6%, that's where your 10 year treasury should be. The question is is that number closer to 6% or is it closer to 5% because it's approaching 5% now. Right. It's going to be interesting to see what that Q4 GDP figure comes in at because I know Q3 for the for the bulk of it that Atlanta Fed GDP now had it around 5%. Yeah. Which was which was just an I can't even begin to, I don't even know how to explain how absurd of a number that is. It's pretty fucking bonkers. But, I mean, if you take the math that I just gave you and you add it to, let's just say, what our inflation is now, mm -hmm. that puts the 10-year really fucking high. Right. And if you're already seeing the stress with 15 basis points, you don't have to be a rocket scientist or an economist to go, shit, right. that could put a lot of stress in the economy that we probably can't handle. Exactly. Not to mention that a lot of these jobs that you're seeing come from government contracts for things like supporting wars and contractors that are obviously supplying things for some of our allies, which, again, not a good thing for this country to be focused on right now. Right. This next article, markets brief, will bonds yields top 5%. Look at that. We were just talking about that. How well architected is this show? Jesus. You did a good job structuring this. Thank you. Thank you. You, 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 stopped, you stopped reading the author's names, though. I, I caught that. Yeah, I mean, this is from Morningstar, so nobody that we're probably going to see again. Tom Larcella. <laughs> I mean, Larcella, whatever it is. He took a shot against Morningstar. what they do to you? Nothing. It's just, you know, we don't get a lot. I mean, we read a lot of articles for the show. Right. Some repetitive names, Wall Street Journal, CNBC, The Real Deal, like them a lot. Mm, Reuters. You know, Yahoo Finance. Don't get a lot of Morningstar, I'm going to be honest. How did this even come across your feed? It actually was a good article. It, even with slowing economy next year, investors should expect higher rates. And I was like, well, tell me more. Yeah. And then I got the next couple of paragraphs, which I'm going to read about. Okay. Wow. Room pulling up. Dude's LinkedIn. Chief uh, markets editor, New York City metropolitan area. That, that's the editor. Mm. And uh, yeah, I don't know what this shows me, but it sounds like he writes a lot of articles about bonds. 
Let's get into it, shall we? Let's do it. Prior to Friday, the yield on the U.S. Treasury 10-year note had already risen to 4.70% from 3.97% at the end of July. Following the release of the jobs data, the 10-year yield briefly jumped to around 4.85% before settling uh, at the end of the day to 4.78%, which aligns exactly what we just said, 15 basis points from 4.7% to 4.85%. Doesn't sound like a big jump, but it's a big jump. And then it ultimately settled at just below that at 4.78%. Ironically, that 4.85% was the highest it had been since 2007. These are the highest yields since June of 2007, actually. The bond market has been a one-way train. I would say it's a one-way freight train, but that's not what the author said. Mm. Says Tony Rodriguez, head of fixed income strategy at Nuveen. Sentiment has turned solidly bearish. Dove, bear, birds, Again, chirping, always. cries, Goldilocks, wolves. It's just confusing. Just trying to be sexy. <sighs> Thanks to the unexpectedly strong economy and the increased amount of debt the federal government must sell to fund the deficit. Mm. It's a little bit difficult to stand in front of that, and I'm adding this, freight train. See yeah. how good that analogy would have been? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I could have helped this guy out. Yeah. You, just... you got his LinkedIn profile, I'll, I'll ping him. There Listen, bro, I'm going to ghostwrite for you. <laughs> this may make yields on safe government bonds even more attractive. But when it comes to the outlook for the stock market, the question of how much higher bond yields will go and further out how much they could eventually fall adds uncertainty. Mm. Next up for the bond market will be the September Consumer Price Index report due this upcoming Thursday. Economists are expecting the report to show a moderation in inflation, but market watchers say bonds could be hit hard by any bad news. So uh, by hit hard, they'll rise. They'll rise. So we know that, you know, these government bonds are viewed as, you know, the safest investment, if you will, right? How many, you know, publicly traded companies do you know of that, you know, you always hear about people needing to diversify their portfolio. Well, I'm trying to get to why is this such a big deal, you know, to everybody out there in the market? You know, a lot of people are holding these on their books. So when these yields that Chris is talking about, all you need to really know is if they're going up, what is what is really happening to people's balance sheets? So let me. Arun's got a great chart. We'll, we'll actually show this to you on the YouTube channel. Twenty twenty three ten year Treasury yields. It gives you all the way from January to where we are now, and it is a pretty healthy increase all the way up to the four point seven eight percent where it closed last. And I'll, I'll put it to you like this, okay? This chart in and of itself just looks bad. You don't have to be an expert on on economics or financial policy or bonds to go, okay, that's going up. It's going up pretty aggressively. It went up a lot in a single year. Right, and that's not where we want it to go. We don't want it. If it goes that way too far, too far high, then what happens? So much so that people that are the heads of these, well, the non-voting members of the FOMC were, who were like all about, hey, let's keep raising Fed funds. We need to go more. We need to go more. They're like, oh, shit, they saw this. And this was the reason for them to go, oh, wait a minute, the economy can't handle anymore. Yes. Because this is a huge problem. And let me explain to you in a very recent way how this resonates, okay? You saw Silicon Valley Bank, First Republic Bank, uh, Signature Bank all go down, okay? There were some tertiary impacts, but mostly it had to do with there was a run on deposits. And the run on deposits started with them saying, okay, look, these banks have assets that are underwater, and because those assets are underwater, they have to have an unrealized 
loss on their balance sheet, and that could affect their capital, and they may not have your money. And then it ultimately wanted this contagion period, which happened on March 9th and March 10th, which caused a banking run. Except now this is playing out for every single holder of bonds, right. which, fun it's, fact. It's not just the banking industry. It's, it's every large corporation across the country. Right. When they've got excess cash, what do they do? They buy bonds, the safest investment as a place to put their cash in a place where they can get good returns. Now we're talking about banks giving you 5%. You know, in some in some types of savings account, but these people can't go all cash. What do they do? They buy bonds. The problem is, you bought bonds. You bought at a yield of four point five percent. Now bonds spike up to five percent. Your four point five percent bonds are now worth less. You have effectively lost Dude, money as a result four, of this. Forget the four point five percent. I'm looking at three and a half percent. Yeah. In January. Yeah. Right. So, and to to people out there, like Chris just mentioned earlier that. A a zero point one five percent is a big deal, okay. We're talking about these people are going to go up, you know, a percent and a half. So when I was ringing the alarm in probably early January of this year, and Said and I were sounding off on this was unprecedented. I went on Mind Pump. I got fucking just murdered in the comment section on YouTube. Because I said this was unprecedented. People were like, no, 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 no. During the 70s and the 80s, we went up 25 basis points and 50 basis points consecutively, respectively, in the 70s and 80s. Each time, when we had more interest rate increases, yes, you had a slower cadence to increases. That's why this whole bell curve of 25, 50, 75, 75, 75, 50, 25, pause, 20. This bell curve increasing strategy, which the Fed has never done before, ever, is so fucking weird. But the more important thing that people just, it, it was lost on people, was you've now gone up at such an incredible cadence, such a fast clip, that the entire market is seeming to be shocked by it. And I know part of the logic we'll find out probably in retrospect is the Fed thought, okay, we acted two years too late. We got to move fast, but we got to do it as like a ramp up, ramp down. Well, guess what? This now has unprecedented impacts to everybody's balance sheets. This is why I said the banking sector was on the front lines and raising rates is bad for banks, but the holding rates, this shit happens and it's bad for you. Right. It's bad for the consumer. It's bad for me. It's bad for everybody. This new approach that the Fed, not it's not a new approach, but the approach that they're now seeming to adopt, the hold, hold higher for longer. Yeah. Right? That was not anticipated when they started this whole journey. Okay? They didn't realize the lag effects. They expected unemployment to go up higher by now. They expected the consumer to pull back. They didn't. They didn't. They didn't fully. I, I, here's this is what I think. They didn't fully consider the consumer behavior economics piece of this. That people are going to continue living their lifestyle, and that's just going to continue to stimulate the economy. It's just going to. It's just going to make the matter worse. So, Arun pulled up a great historical ten-year Treasury yield curve. The prior, the prior one we showed you was a single year. Oh, this one shows you my biggest fear in the markets right now, okay? And I'm going to say, as a banker, I can totally understand there's a bias. And I will say, I don't want the 10-year to go higher because I know the stress it has in the banking system. It's not good for me. But the economist mindset that we have, and my colleague here, the laureate, soon-to-be, Said Omar, the chief economist of the higher standard, we, not, we both agree that there is still room for this to go up. And if you look back in the 90s and see the way that this thing spiked, the 10-year can move. And if you look where 80, we are today. The, the 80s. Uh, 1980s, sorry. 1980s all the way through. The, yeah, the case started coming right. out after the 80s. Yeah. My apologies, yes. 
Uh, you see the way it spiked. You see that there is a historic precedence where this got wildly out of control. Volcker era, double dip, recessionary economies. Mm -hmm. The early 80s. Right. Okay, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but I'm afraid that it could happen. Now, hopefully the treasuries will level out a little bit because the healthy economy, if inflation comes down, GDP comes down, and you have those two numbers that should give you a target of around 5 to 6% that like we talked about earlier mm -hmm. for a 10-year number. And that would be a lovely number for us to settle out here and have some stability. My fear is that we don't. And if we don't, this could hurt the banks even more than the Fed funds increase could. Right. And and to your point, right, so that this historical 10-year Treasury yield where it really spiked up in the 80s, what we got to remember is now take a look at the period right before that. It's a 16%, man. Yeah, 16% for, for mortgage rates, right? Uh, the ten-year treasury, the ten-year treasury, and which, even mortgage rates. Because again, the ten-year treasury yield and the mortgage rates right. they track one another because they compete for dollars. Exactly. But if you remember what happened in the seventies, and I know we've covered it before on the show, there was a resurgence in inflation because the Fed decided to take their foot off the brakes too early. Yep. They decided to cut a little too early, so people are going to be sounding the alarms when you know you start to see more corporate defaults. You're going to see more bankruptcies. People are going to say, the Fed needs to cut. The Fed needs to cut. If they do cut, you might see this happen again. Yeah. Right? True. So that's why they need to be very careful, and that's why you keep hearing the rhetoric. They're preparing everybody that we're going to hold rates higher for longer because what, what they don't want to happen is a resurgence in inflation and have the 1980s happen again. Yeah, and that that's exactly Kind of my fear. And I'm not saying it's going to happen. I've got no reason to do that. But Arun, let's go to the next article while you're doing that too. Um, and I, I just, I legitimately have fears of what could happen. And this article from Bloomberg suggests exactly that. And and again, I, I don't want to come off as like this guy who's talking about all the things that he's worried about and blah, 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 and that this is all my opinion. The other, other people have the same fear. And I, I share some of these things. So this from Bloomberg, long bonds... Historic 46% meltdown rivals burst of dot-com bubble. Duration exposure fuels painful losses for long-end investors. 30-year 30 30 yields hit 5% Wednesday for the first time since 2007. Okay. So I'm going to read the quote from uh, Business Week. And um, I want to get your reactions. Okay. Okay, because there's some stuff here which I think is compelling. Bonds maturing in 10 years or more have slumped 46% since peaking in March of 2020, according to data compiled by Bloomberg. That's just shy of the 49% plunge in U.S. stocks in the aftermath of the dot-com bust at the turn of the century. Mm. Furthermore, the extent of the losses is a stark reminder of the risk that comes with piling into long-dated bonds where prices are the most sensitive to change in interest rates. That was part of the appeal of the securities as the Federal Reserve spent the better part of a decade cutting borrowing costs to near zero. But as the central bank has carried out the most aggressive monetary policy tightening in decades to rein in runaway inflation, the mix of historically low starting yields, long maturity debt, and rapidly rising rates has proven to be a painful combination. Right. So that... 46% drop that uh, you started off with, that's because that the values come down because the yields on those bonds are going are going up. Yes. Right? So the, the Fed, look, 
at the end of the day, when people bought those 10-year bonds, they had there was no way for them to be able to expect or project or predict or whatever that this was something like this was going to happen, right? And if if corporations across the country are going to have to start realizing some of these losses, I get it. There, there's not, they're not banks where there's going to be a run on deposits, but if there's if there's losses that they're going to be reporting on, it falls right into what we talked about all the time. Where there's going to be an earnings recession. Well, to that point, let's go to the next article from Business Week, Arun, and. Uh, I will, uh, I will further expand on the concerns. From Bloomberg, Business Week, worst U.S. bond sell-off since 1787. That's a year, That's everybody. a year, kids, yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a year. Marks the end of the free money era. Carnage from the bond market where the route is worse than anything you'll find in any history book you studied in any economics course ever in school, okay? Right. That's a real thing. Yeah. Strategists at Bank of America recently got their dirty little nubby hands, despite Brian Moynihan's best efforts, on the U.S. bond market data going all the way back to the founding of this nation. And it shows that they say that never before has there ever been an extended period of losses like the past three years. The years from 2008 to 2020 were abnormal. Even if at some point... They came to feel normal for you, for me, and for everybody in Gen Z who thinks that I'm fucking crazy when I keep talking about a recession. Mm -hmm. Saeed, I left you out of the crazy party. Thank you. You're welcome. Appreciate you. You're handsome and a Nobel laureate. Oh, You said that because people said that we look like, like each other. And you're fucking <laughs> handsome, brother. Yeah, you too, man. You're a good-looking motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> came to feel normal. Uh, Torson Slock, chief economist at private equity giant Apollo Global Management, says... By the way, Apollo Global is the shit. You should read up on them. Uh, we, we cited their CEO not we too did. long ago. The crew over at Bank of America dug up another historical nugget to underscore the point. Global interest rates during this period were the lowest in 5,000 years. Mm. I'm going to read that one again just for impact, okay? <laughs> I want you guys to focus in, all right? Global interest rates during this period were the lowest in 5,000 years. 5,000. It's a long time. That's a long fucking time. That's all, that, that's all they needed to say. Long time. So basically, Jesus was the last person to live through this kind of economic <laughs> crisis. The new world that we live in, Slock says, it's really the normal world that we were in, which is a terrible fucking quote, but that's the quote. Basically, what he's trying to say is- Do better. Come on. Yeah. I mean, come on, Slock. You're slacking. <laughs> slock is slacking. <laughs> yeah. By the way, the, the picture, I don't know if you saw it. It's it, it, with a pen and quill. It says Bondageddon <laughs> with a fucking candle next to it. <laughs> like Jesus Christ no, wrote it. <laughs> no, Bondageddon. That's what I said, Bondageddon. No, I, I, it's not like you said Bond again. Oh, dude? No, he said it right. He did? Thank you, Arun. Oh, God damn it, man. Well, he said it right. He's not teaming up on you. That's just facts. No cap. Yeah. Your riz is off, King. I'm, I'm coming here with facts, not opinions. This, By the way, this has all been added to the dictionary. Yeah. So now these words actually are real words. So again, when I say your riz is off, King, you're giving trauma vibes, bro. <laughs> trauma? What's this? Yeah. What's this, is a, this is a new one. You're giving trauma vibes? <laughs> did you vibes? hear that over the weekend so at your rave? I did. I did. I swear to God. So I was, I don't want to call anybody out, so I'm not going to mention any names, but I'm going to try to keep the details fuzzy and murky so I don't call anybody out. We were walking back to the car and a very intoxicated person from the generation and i were having a chat okay and it was you know respect 
she talked to me like I was one of her people, right? I'm, I'm like, yo, like, we out here, you know? <laughs> we out here. And she was like, you know, it's giving such, oh God, it's giving trauma. And I was like, I know what she's saying. <laughs> I, I speak it, bro. It's like, I'm in the know. I was like, yeah, for real. Facts. For real. <laughs> <laughs> I felt so hit, bro. You have no oh idea. Oh my gosh, bro. That's so good. That's so good. <laughs> All right. Well, we said it was going to be a Bond-heavy episode, and it is, in fact, a Bond-heavy episode. But you can hear in some of the things we've cited that these are unprecedented events. I mean, 1787? Yeah. 5,000 years ago? I mean, these these are events that have not happened for anyone's adult lifetime. Not my parents, not your parents, not their parents. Right. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's not happened. So, yeah. And are we concerned? Yeah. We're fucking worried, man. I know we're worried we're worried about you know our situations and you know everyone else out there too but so when now an investment like this quote unquote safe investment right is now could potentially be triggering some kind of a collapse you know because a lot of people are investing in the tenure and the tenure and the tenure goes the yields go up then the values of them go down and a lot of people are carrying these on their balance sheets and they're now considered unrealized losses I mean, what does that say? What does that say for the U.S. government? I get it. You guys pay your debts, but I don't want to be tied to something for 10 years for, with you guys if something like this is going to happen to me now. Here's what I'll say, okay? One bad, like significant bad piece of news could bring this whole fucking thing down. Right. It gets in the bond market in a full fucking rager. And it's gonna, it's gonna, the whole thing's gonna go sideways. And why everyone should care about the bond market? Because if it's so out of reach for you and what you do on a day to day basis, remember, things that do matter to you are tied to this, right? So your mortgage payments, your credit card payments, if you, if the company you work for gets wants to get a loan and they want to grow or they want to keep the lights on, it's gonna cost them more to borrow money. Yeah. Right. So this is why we're talking about this because you need to care about this. You do. And I wanted to get into this 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 CNBCA article about the 77-year-old widow who lost all her money. But Marjorie, bro, call her by her name. Yeah, put some respect on her name, too. God damn it. <laughs> uh, but I think we should save this for the next episode. I think we talk about this one in a little more detail. I don't think it fits with the rest of the show. It doesn't fit with the rest of the show, but I think when we bring it up, maybe we provide some people with some, some tips that maybe seem like common knowledge for some of us, but um, it needs to be brought to the attention. Yeah. We've seen a lot of scams lately. We'll we'll talk about this scam. We'll talk about some stuff that I'm seeing on the banking side. I've seen a lot of check fraud recently. It's booming. Seeing a lot of interesting things that are happening where scammers that they used to do all these email scams, they're now mm -hmm. physically calling in after they steal your information. So, so somebody 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 called uh my wife's um phone and left a voicemail today trying to scam Odun. <laughs> That's not weird. Yeah, for the listeners out there that that, that don't know, uh, Odun's also my brother-in-law. He's just not not just my coworker here at the higher standard. They, they, the phone number they asked him to call back. You know how you know how they read it off. Yeah. Please call back four billion. Blah blah blah. You're like what? <laughs> yeah, like come on, guys, do a little bit better job with the scam. I mean, some of them are just coming from impoverished countries. Arun, I, I thought for sure you're going to jump in there with the whole sister-in-law comment. Nothing. Yeah, you don't want to chime in. We, we've addressed this in the past. Do you remember when we asked whoa, you? To we, speak? Oh, we whoa, don't whoa, get new. Oh, God, oh, we don't get new listeners. 
This is a very sensitive topic for Saeed. He gets very emotional over the whole well, thing. Well, he's the, no, but he was the one that used to care about that the most. Look, guys, we got to bring it up. We're constantly getting new listeners. Oh, bro, he checked out like six shows ago. <laughs> He's not even here. You guys ask him to speak the other day. He's got two under two. <laughs> He's got two under two. Like, Rune, you know we put a mic in front of you for a reason, right? No, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I asked three questions today. You did? No, they were great questions. I'm, I don't have a problem with your with your lack of engagement. It's 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 Saeed that doesn't. I have a problem with your lack of responsiveness to text message threats. I think Odin provides great value to the show in that he should be asking more questions. Yeah, it provides 100%. A great value to the show. I, I have no no doubts about that. You're stuttering I a just, lot. No, I, <laughs> I just I just think that, I, I really believe in Odin and his capabilities. I, I, I got, I got two two courteous criticisms that I can provide both of you. Okay, what that guy in there responds to text messages like an asshole. Okay, thank thank you for fucking elaborating. Okay, <laughs> lol. Four Wait, hours later, bro, he's got two under two. No, I get that. Okay, I get that. Trust me, but he's having sex talk all the time. He, he is having sex talk all the time. Oh, dude, I can't what defend is you there. Sex talk. I don't know. I don't. We don't know, you're, you're it, bro. It's Chris, Chris, you're an admin. I deleted that immediately after you tried to log me into that shit, bro. It's end to end encrypted. We don't know. We'll never know. Yeah. I guess we'll never know. Yeah. No one will. And then Saeed over here, bro. When you don't respond, you wear an Apple Watch Ultra. Yeah. You get the messages, boy. No, no, I take it off at some points in the day just to make sure I get uh, tan lines. Otherwise, some, some time to focus. Time to focus. Yeah. Here's what you do. You go to your watch. And you no, you know what you mode. do. You know what you do that bothers me because I'll send you the reels ahead of time. Yeah. Okay. And then I'll post it uh -huh. on the YouTube yeah. page, right? And then you'll be like, send it to me again. Yeah, because I can't download the video. Why? The first yeah. time around. Okay, again, because I'm dealing with so much content <laughs> for my personal pages and everything else. No, no, no. I don't. If you made any edit or any update to that video that you posted, I don't want to not capture that. I would tell you if I, I made that edit. Sometimes things you know happen, so I just say, "Give me the exact video that you posted that day." Mm. It makes my life a whole hell of a lot easier. Keep in mind, you're posting to one place. I'm posting to like six. That's true. So I'm just trying to be consistent and expedient. Okay. Well, you brought the heat out tonight too. Yeah, I felt like I felt like my feet needed some jays now that the jellyfish thing is is helped. Urine really helped me, man. <laughs> It's one of those old, I'm telling you, the science is going to come out in a couple of years. It's not, they're going to be like, they're yeah. going to be like, there's something in urine. People really love that one. Yeah. <laughs> they really love it. I want you to know, uh, most of the time when we create the shorts and the reels, it's really to, you know, capture the attention of some new listeners. That one that I made was shout out for all the listeners that are currently watching and listening. And yes, I pee on feet. And if you enjoyed it, go over to Apple or Spotify. Leave us an honest five-star review. Bro, you're doing that too much now. No, I haven't done it in a while. You did it three times a show. What? No, I did the YouTube one. Oh, I said join YouTube. Yeah. Is that really any different? Well, yes. we'll see. Come on. Go over there. All Leave right. us an honest five-star review. You don't even have to write a narrative if you don't want to. If you do, though, we appreciate it. We'll read it on the show. Yeah, and shout out to the guy who made the comment that I was talking to myself because Saeed and I look alike. One just has glasses. It's a mirror on this side. I was side. like, that's a comp this. Yeah. Should I be mad that I got your body or should I be happy that I have your face? <laughs> Twins movie. From the, was it we are. That, we got we to gotta do that. We're not doing that. Why? We're not doing that ever. Huh? Why? That's a compliment to you. You're Arnold. I'm Danny DeVito. I got to feel like, I got to be honest, I think Danny DeVito could probably pull better than Arnold. Could. Oh, man. Uh, Say so got mad today when you shared those AI photos oh i didn't like that first yet. of all i had i had no yes, that was did. ai yes no did. i didn't prompt shit i just said to the ai maybe i'm the gray fit no i didn't say anything about the way we looked i said <laughs> oh, that wasn't thick. i want to animate a podcast that has this as the scene 
And for some reason, it turned you into a woman. I don't know why. No, not that one. That no, one didn't bother man. you? No, the other one. Oh. The still frame shots that it made, like the thumbnails. The storyboards. The story. <laughs> Where it made you like a fat guy? Yeah. I look, I look oh, like. You know a, he did that. A, did I, you see my face? You made me look like a fucking troll. You're, no, you're mad that you're fat? I look, <laughs> I look like an out of shape Mario. And that's saying a lot. <laughs> okay, so you didn't look at all at my fucked up face. and the, One of them only gave me one eye. Yeah, no, but you were jacked, though. You know what you did. You did something to make yourself look more jacked. I didn't do anything. The AI just was like, okay, this guy's jacked and got a fucked up face, and that guy's a fat ass. Oh, my gosh. You're lucky I didn't put a picture of Arun there. Yeah. <laughs> put the cookie monster in I'll the back. You, and by the way, if anybody wants to have Arun sit in on an episode, let us know. I'll, I'll, I'll gladly swap with Arun. I feel like... Oh, I was going to have him sit on your lap. <laughs> <laughs> We should. You guys should share with Mike. That'd be a great episode. <laughs> I mean, he's my brother-in-law. Do the whole episode just like straight to the camera. Well, what do you think, Arun? <laughs> <laughs> it has been a long time since we had you in here for a full inquisition. Remember he used to sit right over there in the corner with his laptop? Yeah. It's the same thing we do to four-year-olds when we put them in timeout. <laughs> <laughs> he had his feet up on the trash can, remember? He did, yeah. He didn't yeah. cough as much back then. All right. I think we spent all our gas on this one. We did. You did a good job today. Oh, dude, you got anything else? Nope. Great job. All right. Wow. Two great jobs. Look at that. Look at that. Hit us with the chief. Good night, everybody. Bye.